Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 46, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Stein. Hey folks, welcome to the MLR Kickoff, Dan Power with you, joined as always by my co-commentator Pete Steinberg. And Pete, we have a big show coming up tonight as we jump into all the World Cup news. We're going to talk to USA Eagle Dylan Fawcett about his experience in Japan and maybe some insight into the quarterfinals from a player's perspective as well. So Pete, how does the week find you, my friend? Uh, Sleep deprived or are you starting to get back on the routine? No, no, um, uh, um, no World Cup games this week um, getting me up at 2 o'clock in the morning, but I... um have had some early mornings because I'm in Wilmington. So I'm on the East Coast and Wilmington, Delaware, rainy Wilmington, Delaware, working with a client. I find myself sitting yet again uh, doing a major, li- major league rugby kickoff um, recording in a hotel room. So just hoping that the uh, um, internet at the Courtyard Marriott here holds up. Every time I hear Delaware, I think of the great Wayne's World line where we're in Delaware and, you know, just nothing there. Is it as bad as Wayne's World made out or are there some redeeming features to Delaware? Um, you know, Delaware is one of those. Um, well, so Delaware definitely have some has some redeeming features. There's lots of beaches here. Wilmington's an interesting place because it's uh, – um, it's mostly known as being a place where you register your company because of, I, I think, the legal protections potentially and the, and the tax benefits you get in Delaware. I'm not exactly sure why it is. So there's a lot of companies that are registered here but aren't headquartered here. So it is, it is a bit of a, an, an interesting place, but um, uh, it's, it's, it's not too bad being in Delaware. Um, it's close to my old um, hunting grounds in Philadelphia and Kennett Square. So it's nice to feel a little bit at home. Well, I like to hear that. Pete, World Cup. It's in full swing. We've reached reached the quarterfinal stages. Eight teams left. Uh, were you expecting this eight or Japan a little bit of a surprise? Oh, I mean, I think I think Japan is definitely um, uh, a surprise. Not not a, a, a huge surprise, but definitely I think the fact that they beat Ireland was the biggest surprise, right? Ireland came in as the number one team in the world. And, you know, you just watch this this Japanese team play and you see a team that's playing a different kind of rugby. I, I, I have a, a, uh, um, a, a friend and, and client who is um, a senior executive and, and a big innovation guy, and he's a Kiwi, and he's always asking, why does everyone play the same way? Like he's an innovation guy. So he's like, why aren't people innovating? And Japan play a very, very different brand of rugby. Um, really uh, um, caught Ireland by surprise. And the game against Scotland was really, really probably, probably the game so far, I think, of the tournament. So um, other than that, I think it's the same, you know, it's the teams that they're, they're probably in the, uh, um, you know, where, where we thought they would be. But there's definitely some mouth-watering games coming up this weekend. I'm just not sure what I'm going to do, Dan, like you can't just stay up all night, right? So you can't watch all the games. So you've got to make some choices about, you know, though, you know, I'll be back in Colorado. So, you know, do I wake up in the middle of the night, watch the, you know, watch a game live, go back to sleep. And then in the morning, watch the second game on record, or do I sleep through the night and get up early? I think it's like four forty-five, and watch the second game and then watch the first game to record. I haven't quite worked out what I'm doing. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a tough situation to be in there, Pete. I'm not sure if I can help you out. I know you and I, for old reasons, will probably watch Australia-England. Um, have a little side bet on that one, as long as you give me some points head start. because I'm not going to give you any points. But what I do love about Australia-England is, you know, Michael Checker and Eddie Jones and their press conferences 
are awesome. I mean, I think I think I saw that um, Checker came out and said we don't do any opposition analysis. I think that's what he said. He's like, oh, we don't really look at the. I tell the stop coach all the time, stop looking at the opposition. We and I'm just like, there's absolutely no way that is true. There's absolutely no way that they're not analyzing the opposition. But I love the fact that he's trying to like goad Eddie Jones into a war of words. Well, Eddie's the absolute master of mind games too. He brought in uh, Ricky Stewart, who's the coach of the Canberra Raiders, a rugby league team in Australia, who just happens to be one of Michael Checker's good friends. So a little shot across the bar there and uh, Checks was saying, I'm not sure what he's thinking or why Ricky would even do that. And, you know, and uh, so the the Ducks and Drakes continues into it. One of the best rivalries in sport outside of, uh, you know, what we know here in the U.S. sporting landscape would have to be Australia and England. You know, the Ashes uh, crosses so many sports. So that would be a good one as well. Let's talk a little bit of North American, in particular MLR as well in South America. We've got uh, Uruguay, a big influence there. But the three teams with MLR ties all bow out in the pool stages, which we expected. But firstly, our neighbours to the north, Canada, probably came out of the World Cup as uh, the tag of the most loved team. Uh, They definitely won that award by all the stuff they're doing off the field, Uh, a lot of cleanup efforts after the typhoon that went through. And not surprisingly, as we know uh, from doing the Toronto Arrow game this year, Pete, that great guys up there and definitely lived up to that reputation, but disappointing on the field for Canada. Yeah, I mean... um so I've, I've found this idea of expectation to be really interesting um, because you say, is, is it disappointing for Canada? I mean, you know, they, they played three tier one nations. Um, they were blown out in all of them. I mean, it was a little closer. It was 40, what, 40 something to seven. They scored against, uh, um, against Italy Um but, you know, what was the expectation coming in, Dan? I mean, this is a team that's ranked 22nd in the world. This is a team that um, only qualified because of the repertoire. And so, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm finding some of these expectations. I mean, I did see a Canada supporter sort of thinking, well, you know, we get to play Italy. Uh, you know, we should have a chance. That's like the U.S. supporter saying, oh, we're playing Argentina. We should have a chance. We have no chances against those teams. We are not in North America good enough to compete against those tier one nations in a World Cup? Not yet. And so um, I think that you can be, um, you know, I I guess I wouldn't say disappointed. I think you can say it's probably a fair reflection about where Canada is now. And they have a long way to go to get back to sort of, you know, the amateur days when, when Canada was in the running for, you know, a quarterfinal spot at the World Cup. I think their draw against Namibia was their best performance by far. Uh, no mistakes, no handling errors, no missed tackles. But uh, interesting, wasn't it, to actually see such a big event? Um, well, I think the Rugby World Cup comes in as is it the third or fourth largest sporting event in the world? The Olympics, the Soccer World Cup. Uh, I mean, I think, I think yeah, I think it's you know, first of all, I think that what what people say is it's the second most watched, but. I feel like that's just because there's 48 games. And so they all get watched. I mean, it's the, it's, it's the same people watching each of those games, but I think it's like the second most watched. But look, it's a major sporting event. And it was really, you know, I was fascinated with the 
um, with the challenge of running a major event with a natural disaster. I mean, this was not like a storm that was coming through. Um, you know, this was like a Katrina that was hitting Tokyo. And, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, people are laughing that the contingency plans of world rugby was to move um, games down the road. But, you know, this is the, the worst typhoon, I think, for more than 50. I mean, you know, you don't have a contingency plan for a 50-year storm. You have a contingency plan for, you know, something which happens every 10 years. And so, um, you know, the fact that they were even, even able to get that Scotland – um, Japan game up and running tells you something about the organizer, uh, organizers at the World Cup. And uh, you're right about Canada. You know, they they are, you know, they showed their character. Their game was canceled. And so what they did is they got out there and they and they helped with the uh, with the cleanup. Um, I, th- I think what's going to be interesting about Canada as they build towards the next um, phase is, you know, and I've, I've felt like this for a while. I mean, I've, I've always looked with envy at what Canada has um, in in the rugby world, which is, um, you know, well-developed clubs and, uh, you know, um, uh, structured uh, and fully professional prov- like provinces. We don't have that stuff in the state. But Canada's model was to centralise that, was to take all of their players, move them to Victoria and have them train a lot. And there's a generation of players who in this last cycle didn't play very much because they were just training. And I think that's reflected in their poor performance um, Major League Rugby is going to help with that, I think. Um, I, you know, they need another team. Um, you know, I think Vancouver's logical. We've heard about things like Halifax um, and, um, you know, some, some other places. But I think they need another team and they think they need to find ways to leverage their strengths, which is, you know, the clubs and the provincial system that they have um, and, and not move to a centralized model that, let's be honest, the U.S. would do better than that. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because a lot of people have been trying to figure out the decline of Canadian rugby and where it came from because you think not too long ago, you know, even back to, you know, you know, 09, 10, we we couldn't beat Canada in the men's game. It was just they dominated and it didn't look like we were ever going to find a way to get in front of Canada and then it turned around rather quickly that kind of coincided with that centralization. Um, I've even spoken to some players who have been offered those contracts to go there and don't want to because they've seen the effect it's had on teammates not getting the minutes out in the field. And you can train all you want, but as you know, once you you get on the field, it's really worth nothing. You've got to get those battle tested minutes to get uh, to get better to to improve as a player. So the way forward, though, that second MLR side, I think you've hit the nail on the head, though. But the the logistics of it is going to be difficult. Where do you put it? Do you take that centralized program and turn it into an MLR side? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe I British Columbia would be a good spot, right? Uh, Vancouver. It's just it's it, it's yeah. I mean, I think Vancouver's the place. It's a major hub. It's a huge. I mean, the um, you know the BC League out there is very very high level. Um, always has has been. Um, I think I think it needs to be in in Vancouver, but. You know, remember that Major League Rugby is a business, right? And so it's going to depend on who has the money to support a team and who has the best business plan. The, I, you know, I've heard. Uh, Let's go Calgary. Well, Calgary certainly has the money, right? So thanks to Aaron stepping in there. Calgary definitely has the money, um, you know, from the natural resources that it has there. It doesn't have quite the uh, – um, uh, it, it would be a tough place. It makes Toronto, I think, look warm in, in March. 
where Vancouver would allow you to play all year round. Um, and, you know, I've heard that there's a number of different competing groups in Vancouver. So if they can get their act together, um, I think that would be a good place. And Dan, not a bad place to go up and commentate Vancouver. Vancouver, no. Uh, I don't know if they'd be having it at BC Place up there, but yeah, Calgary. That's uh, Brett the Hitman heart country up there, old Calgary. I'm not sure if I want to do a game in Calgary in March or Toronto in March for that fact. So uh, it has to happen though, Pete. It just has to happen. For the for the better of the game in the Americas, um, there's a lot of talk throughout the World Cup, uh, some of it quite informed, some of it not quite informed from journalists around the world in terms of the effects of MLR. But I think we've stated on this show that even 2023 may be uh, a goal too soon for the full effects of what MLR can do as we see Japan. And we'll always be compared to Japan because we used to, again, dominate the Japanese in rugby and 15 years ago. And now that turnaround coincides with the introduction of their local league. And then the Sunwolves have ramped that up again with their super rugby involvement. But that's a decade that it took of that run and progression of professional rugby there to really get to where they are. Plus, they had Eddie Jones in there for quite a period as well. And we will make fun of Eddie from time to time. But the fact is, the guy is an amazing coach, people manager, and he implements strategies and programs in place that are successful wherever he's been, Australia, Japan, and now England. So um, is Gary Gold our Eddie Jones? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. There's people who want to see Gary relieved of his position, which I think is very irrational and uh, a little hasty. But, you know, we've got to find out our Eddie Jones and we've got to find uh, sustainability uh, with professional rugby here, which I believe MLR will do. Well, let's 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 look at Gary Gold and, and sort of like his, you know, what he was able to do with the US at the World Cup. You know, I'm someone actually who um, I was really, I was really happy with the performances of the team at the World Cup outside of the England game. I mean, the England game, we looked undercooked. Um, we didn't look ready for that kind of physicality. I mean, you know, when you look at Japan's performance, I think it was something like um, Japan have played four tier one, I mean, sorry, 13 tier one countries in the last cycle. I mean, a lot of countries wanted to come to Japan and, and play. Um, a lot of tier one countries came to Japan to play, to get used to what was going on. So that's 13 tests where we had four. And the PNC, the level of intensity, just didn't prepare us for that England game. And I think we got blown off the park. And I think that was a disappointing performance. The other performances for me, I think, were very, very credible for Gary Gold. I thought that they were, um, uh, I thought against um, France, you know, we were um, in that game you know, through the uh, um, 60th minute, right? Um, you know, didn't manage to score a try. Um, you know, I think we were kind of holding on that game, but we certainly were able to play. Um, and then I think, you know, the first 18 minutes we played against Argentina was probably the best period of play that a US team has had against the 2-1 nation. Because in that first 18 minutes, up until the box kick um, and the fact that we couldn't rebuild the wall and the run outside of Eric Fry on that line break, we were actually the better team. Like we had territory, we had possession and we had opportunity and we were playing Argentina off the park. Our Achilles heel throughout has been our inability to play consistent defense. And so, you know, we can look at, you know, I'm looking at some of the stats, you know, against, um, so against Argentina, it's one of the few areas where we actually had very, very similar um, uh, uh, possession and, and territory 
right? So possession was very, very close. Um, you know, Argentina had to make 149 tackles. We had to make 129, um, but we missed 48. I mean, our, our tackle percentage was in the 70s and you want to be above 85%. And and that that was pretty much consistent. It was true against... Um, uh, it was true against France and against Tonga. Um, you know, again, we're at 78%. We missed 43 tackles again. So, you know, in that first period against Argentina, when we made our tackles and we played our territorial game with the kicking, we played the best rugby that, that we probably played at the World Cup. But once we give up that line break, it's very, very hard for us to rebuild in those transitions. And um, and actually, I think our kicking game, um, the kicks were fine. Our kick chase, and not necessarily the first kick chase, but the second and third phase after that, we weren't doing a good job of building that wall. And that was, um, and that was a, a, a problem that was consistent for us throughout the tournament. But those transitions are the most difficult things to coach. It really is difficult because it's so much of it is intuitive by the player. And, you know, I know at a World Cup, like everyone's like, well, you have this problem. The issue when you're coaching at a World Cup is not identifying the problem. The issue is finding the time to fix it. And, and I've told this story before, but going into the 2014 World Cup, we knew we had a body height problem. We knew we were about six inches high and we were able to find three 10-minute sessions that we could work on body height in the month that we were together because there's just so much other stuff to do. And so, you know, it's, it, there's only so much you can actually do um, on, you know, once you're there, but there were some pieces that I thought were really good. And then the last thing I would say, um, maybe the best scrum we've had at the world cup since Chris Ozentowski was our tight head prop in 2007. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're at close to a hundred percent of, of scrum wins. If you take out, some of the penalties that we received, like we actually held up for the most part in the scrum. And I thought that was something that was really strong. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you on all fronts. I hate agreeing with you, but uh, you're a smart man. Well, you agree with me when I'm right. Yeah, I do. Well, that's a smart thing to do, isn't it? But uh, I, I know you and I had the conversation during the Argentina game. I think we were texting back and forth, trying to stay awake. And I was like, if we keep kicking the ball down, we're going to get burnt here. Argentina are so dangerous on that kick return. Eventually, they're going to catch us with this chase being so disjointed. I think it literally hit send, and then two phases later, they went right through off a uh, off a box kick that went too deep. Yeah. I'm, I'm the rugby Nostradamus, and uh, it's... Hold it, hold it. Did you did you just like call yourself out as like a, a prognosticator supreme? I'm I'm the rugby Nostradamus, and uh, it's you're the rugby Nostradamus. Well, you know there was an there was an interesting stat that the starting scrum half for Japan against Scotland, I think, was on the field for like seventy minutes and didn't kick once. Right. And a lot of people have said, look, look, that's how you play the game. But Japan did something really interesting. Japan completely controlled their squad. So um, the Japanese players didn't play in their soup in the Sunwolves. The Japanese players played in the B side of Super Rugby, where they were really able to control what's going on. And they had 240 days together 
in the year before the World Cup. So if you have 240 days together, guess what you can do? You can develop a very complex and sophisticated style of attack. If you only gather for competition, which is generally what most tier two nations do, like the PNC and the ARC, you can't practice that much and everything is really about game prep. So I suspect that if we gave um, Gary Gold and his staff the Eagles for 240 days leading to the World Cup, would be competitive with those tier one nations the same way Japan would. But that's just not how our system works. Well, I think we were. That's the most competitive we've been, even against England, which was a poor performance, I think. There, the, the, whole, the whole description of the USA teams in the past has been, and this has come from international players that I've spoken to and coaches. They're like, when we played the USA, tough opening 10, 15 minutes, super physical, passionate. They're going to get after it. They're going to hit the breakdown with everything they've got. Uh, they'll fade. Phase play, they lose their structure really quickly on defense. When they have ball in hand, not much creativity. They'll go very stagnant, one out, slow ball, which was, you know, I agree with them. I look back at some of the older footage that we have, and that's 100% right. We were pretty predictable, very passionate, very physical side. The evolution from amateur to professional never happened uh, in the USA. But I didn't see that. I, I saw us competitive for large, large windows of time where the game was really back and forth. We had our opportunities. And the only way we're going to learn how to react and act in those moments of pressure is playing these tier one nations week in, week out, like Argentina does with the, the rugby championship, like Italy does now in the Six Nations. And, you know, Japan have been playing, had that access in Super Rugby, and they've been having a lot more tier one games than what uh, we've been seeing. So I know... There was that uh, proposed World League that came out that was kind of knocked down. But I think uh, Dan Leo, and I know you have a good relationship with Dan, uh, proposed a modified version of that recently that kind of enabled that ability to go up and down and get more Tier 1 games. And that's going to be a big part that's going to have to go hand-in-hand with the MLR is more and more international games at a Tier 1 level against these bigger countries and they are going to have to bite the bullet and really say you know what if we want this game to be sustainable in around 20 30 years we're going to have to play these countries a little bit more so but uh, yeah i mean it's interesting that the the reality is that what needs to happen internationally and and we're we're getting slightly off topic but i will bring it back to kind of um where i think the ml is really going to help the u.s but what what needs to happen internationally is that actually the fundamental financial model needs to change. So there's no real incentive for New Zealand to go and play um, in Fiji, right? There's, the, there's no incentive for them to do that because if Fiji come to New Zealand, they don't get the bums in seats, or maybe they should, but they don't get the bums in seats that they would get. And the way it works, like, in, you know, the, the, mod, the financial model for international rugby has been the same for 100 years, where it used to be no one's really making any money. And so we're going to pay, we're going to cover your cost if you come and play us, right? So it would be sort of like, hey, we, you know, England would say to Australia, we want you to come and play us and we'll cover your cost while you're here. And that would be in the incentive for Australia to come. Now England put 80,000 people in Twickenham and make five, five million or whatever it is, millions of dollars a game. Australia is still only being paid what they like their costs, they get their costs covered. So it's sort of, it's, it, it's that, that, that model needs to change. But I think where major league rugby 
in the next four years is going to be useful is in this area of transitions. And I think you saw it with um, Mikey Teo when he was playing fullback. You know, in Major League Rugby, when Mikey Teo gets um, the ball, you know, he'll run up to the line, he'll do a little wiggle, and he has that great step, and he'll break through that defensive kick chase because the kick chase just isn't strong enough in Major League Rugby. But you could see at the World Cup, there's no space for him to run through. And so I think if we can get our transitions better, which is when you turn the ball over um, from attack to defense, that defense can build quickly, right? So it makes it hard to um, hard to score. And also when you turn the ball over from defense to attack, the attack is really, really dangerous. Then, then we're preparing our players to play in the international game where those transitions are always the, the, the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity. Yeah. Uh, yep. And it is, it's uh, transition at international rugby is the key to winning and losing. So whoever controls their transitions the best will typically have the better opportunities to score points and then stop points as well. So, uh, mate, we're, as we wait for the butcher to join us, let's talk a little bit of MLR locally and probably the biggest news that came out, uh, well, ever in MLR. Ma Nonu, 103 tests for the All Blacks. He is joining the San Diego Legion next year. Uh, this is going to go up there with man walking on the moon. Uh, kids will remember where they were when Ma Nonu was announced as a San Diego Legion player. Where were you and what was your initial reaction? <laughs> well, you know, first of all, it was sort of like um, it was a pretty good rollout, right, by the Legion, where they, um, on social media, they um, – they didn't put the video, but they put the soundtrack for the video and everyone, and they were like, hey, big announcement. I mean, you know, it, this is a big announcement for the game, although, you know, it's it's one of those things where um, it's not like David Beckham because the um, general American sports fan doesn't know. But this is a guy, even though he was 37, he went back to New Zealand, has been playing Super Rugby because he wanted to make another World Cup. I mean, he is an absolute stud and I am so excited to see him partner up um, with uh, JP Duplessis, and that is going to be one heck of a center partnership. And with um, Peterson at fly half, there's going to be a lot of sort of like Chopper or Orangi where Monono is going to come across and take that switch and be looking for those holes. It's, it's, it is a tasty, tasty midfield. Well, how, how about defending this? You've got... Probably JP Duplessis in 12, Nonu in 13, Toto Vassau in the 11 on the blind wing, Peterson weaving his magic off a set piece, scrum or a lineup. Do you imagine defending that 12, 13 channel and looking up and saying, okay, I got JP Duplessis, Ma Nonu, Toto Vassau off his, and then Peterson can go himself? <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, it, it's it's it. There are things to do, and I think. Look, I mean, a lot. You know, it, it it was interesting. Like there was news of Stefan Armitage. I mean, he had his contract pulled. So I I, I feel like this is a this is whatever deal Stefan Armitage got. Probably Marnonu got. Um, and you know, I think Stefan Armitage for for you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna select you know players that can have impacts, you know, tight head prop, fly half, and number seven. Um, you know, although Armitage may have played eight, I think those are, you know, in the back row, those would be good, but he is, you know, this is a guy that is, is just, I mean, it's just going to be exciting to play and it's great to, you know, it's going to be great for some of those, um, American players 
to be able to rub shoulders with someone who at 37 is still playing super rugby. This is a guy that's looked after himself, that has kept himself in top shape. And I think he's going to come to San Diego, enjoy the beach um, and enjoy his rugby. Well, I hope so. I just wonder when he's going to nudge his former teammate, uh, Sonny Bill, say, hey, hey, brother. You You and your Sonny Bill obsession. Man, it is. Yeah. I got some great. I got some great Sunny Bill stories. Have we got time? Do you want me to tell you one? Uh, is it a true story? Is it like a myth? Okay, sure. That's no, true story. So Sunny Bill, Sunny Bill, young young lad, and uh, he's playing for the Bulldogs, but uh, not playing first grade. It's a trial match, and we're playing down in Bendigo, which is in the middle of nowhere in Australia. And he comes off the bench, plays fifteen minutes, and. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't think I tackled him. But anyway, same field as it's Sonny Bell. Fast forward to 2014 and it's the uh, All Blacks test in Chicago against USA. And I'm like, you know what? I was, I was down on the sideline for that game. I'm like, you know what? I might go, uh, I might go say hello. Go, go remind him about that time I smashed him in, uh, in Bendigo back in, I think it was 2003, 2004. And, and I started walking towards him on the field. I just took a look at him. And obviously, he was a kid back then. Now, he's just this specimen. And he's just massive, quadriceps, shoulders, neck, just gorgeous as he's walking across Soldier Field. And I got about 10 meters away from him and went, no, I can't do it. I turned and walked away. I was like, oh, I just I felt like such a little fanboy. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't go. He won't remember. I am. Just smashed Just you are a fanboy. You should have gone up and been, just being the fanboy, just being the fanboy. So let's talk about some let's let's talk about some um, other signings. I mean, Glendale actually just announced um, their squad. They've got a lot of really um, interesting uh, new players that have joined. I mean, Glendale's been one of these teams where it seems like every week there's been some news about one of their players that has moved somewhere else. So they came out with this uh, announcement. Very interesting to see um, Nick Boyer, um, you know, coming to Glendale, going to be playing um, his uh, traditional uh, scrum half position and, um, you know, taking over from Sean Davies there. So that's a, that's a good pickup by Glendale. For you, Dan, what, what are some of the other Glendale players that stood out for you that they're bringing on board? Well, I think the big news is what they did in the front row. So, there was serious question marks over the scrum and they went out and I think this is the influence of Pete Borlase. You know, he played super rugby down in New Zealand. Well, he was definitely with Canterbury. I'm not sure how much super rugby he played, but went out and got some big, big boys up front. Jacob Fennell is going to play hooker. Now, he's a local guy and I think he may have come through some of their scouting programs. So he's a California kid, but played at Life West up there in the Bay Area. So that's a big signing. But the big ones up front would have been uh, Sakaria Talifo. How did I go with that one? Talifo, getting out there early. The, Samo- the Samoan international uh, played with Stade Francais. And as you know, playing over in Europe, uh, you get plenty of work up front too in the scrummaging and the Heineken Cup playing against those English, Scottish and Welsh teams. So I think that's going to help them uh, quite a lot. And uh, Sean Jacobian from Scotland. St. Mary's University over there, but comes over. He'll compete with Boyer and Carlo Denetian as well. So they've gone a little deeper at Scrum House as well. Yeah, that's what I said, St. Mary's University. But he's from Scotland. 
Yeah, California. Over there, I'm in Colorado. <laughs> so, so you know, the other big signing for Glendale is um, uh, Digby um, Ione, right? A center for a couple of times. How, how do I say it? Yuani. Yeah, Digby, Digby Yuani. Yuani. Yeah. Yuani, um, you know, super rugby guy. Um, you know, uh, he's he's also a um, a big a big player. Um, lots of caps for um, Australia. Another one of these guys. I'm um, a little bit younger than uh, um, Manono. Um, he's just 34, but he he will be a, a big culture. And with um, Robbie Petzer returning at 10, um, you know, I think they've got some exciting. Uh, players that are really um, that are really stepping up at Glendale. Yeah, you've got Quinlan as well from over in Munster, who will compete with Petzer for that ten. But some more depth. Aladdin Shermer, I swear I saw something that said he retired. Didn't he just put something up that he's retired? And now his name pops up on the uh, signings list at the Glendale Raptors. Well, I you know I thought Shermer was a big loss when he got injured um, with with uh, Seattle. I think he's a real quality player that's been slightly overlooked there by. Um, some of the other players that have stepped up, but I think that is definitely a big, a big signing for them. Yeah, he was. Uh, I think he'll fill the role of the Pete Dale there quite well. Just that workhorse grinder at the breakdown, make a lot of tackles, slow a lot of ball down defensively. You know, with the retirement of Pete, I think they're looking for a, a grafter like that, and I think he could really slot into that role quite nicely for the Raptors. So that was good to see, actually, because like you said, a lot of the talk around Glendale was the players they were losing. And, you know, we had Mark Bullock on the show not too long ago and he alluded to some signings but didn't want to say much. But it's obviously him and Pete Borlase been very busy in the off-season getting things going. Any other signings around the league that caught your eye? Well, you know, it was good to see um, uh, Brock Staller re-sign with Seattle. Not much of a surprise, but he's been a big part of their success. I mean, you know, he's obviously a great kicker. Um, you know, probably disappointed not to make the... Uh, um, uh, the World Cup squad, but it's great to see um, him signed. And there's, you know, this this move for picking up props, you know, Boyd Wiggins, who's a prop um, who played uh, in New Zealand in the Mighty Ten for Northland has been picked up by, by Houston. I'm not sure if we've seen any news about um, Mullen in Houston, whether he's been re-signed there, but he's definitely someone that has been playing overseas in the past. So maybe maybe they've got some some cover there. Any other names that stand out for you? Well, I've heard Matt Houston is now a free agent. We assumed he was going to the Free Jacks, as was the announcement when he left Nola Gold last year, loaned to New York, but it may be an extended loan. So very, very talented young back role. He's not that young anymore. I shouldn't say that. He's he'll probably smash me next time I see him, but he is I think he's thirty. So he's 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 young compared to me. There you go. Thanks, mate. You're always good for jumping on that grenade for me. I appreciate that. That'd be a big one. Um, we saw Nakatini go to DC, which I think is a great signing because uh, the Bash brothers, him and Samu Manol, were outstanding in that run to the finals for them. Uh, they've replaced him with uh, FP Pelsa out of South Africa, playing in the Curry Cup down there, another lock. Uh, tall, young and really tall. So in terms of the line-out, that was one area of Seattle probably could have improved on the most was their lineout. They didn't have a really big lock or eight that could go up and get those balls and, and be a bit of a uh, bit of a pest on their you know defensive throws. So 
big signing there as well. Very busy, hasn't it been, Pete, the last couple of weeks? It's the teams have all come out of hibernation. It is. I mean, I think that they're, like, the rubber's hitting the road, right? So, um, you know, you would guess that the teams, some teams, I think, are going to be starting their preseason, you know, with the start, you know, probably in November, right, end of November maybe, to start getting back together. What would that be? It would be a couple of months before the start of the season. That sounds about right. Um, and so the rubber's kind of hitting the road. And I think the interesting thing is for us is when we get into some of these um, expansion teams, Atlanta, um, DC, and the Free Jacks, to see how their squads really come together and develop. I mean, DC's had um, a couple of good signings over the last few weeks, but you know, these are guys that need to put 40 names down on a piece of paper, right? And so, you know, they're, they're going to, you know, and, and that source is going to come from really four areas, right? So that's going to come from um, local players that are playing um, club rugby that they think are good enough. It's going to come from um, players that have not been with MLR, but maybe in, in areas of the country that there's not an MLR team. Like for me, Northern California would be would be would be the big one that they're looking at. Um, MLR players from um, other teams that have become available that they can pick up, and then players overseas. And so, you know, you've got a you know, and 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 you're probably looking in that order, right? You know, you're, you know, I think for most of them, they're going to see what they can get domestically before they go out and they pick up something overseas. Although I think that you know we're probably going to see some you know, some of the key positions like tight head and fly half and those sorts of things very much be, uh, um, uh, you know, um, overseas players. So it's going to be really interesting to see how those teams build their squads from scratch. Um, And, you know, the hard thing is that they're not going to know what they have until about the third or fourth week of the season. And then once they get there, that's all they've got. And so that's going to be the, uh, um, the hard piece of the uh, Major League Rugby season for the expansion teams is they're going to go into the season pretty blind. We'll just give a quick update on our uh, guest tonight, Dylan Force. He's on his honeymoon down in Bali. So he's already doing as a solid by uh, trying to jump on the show, but the Wi-Fi down there is just as dodgy as some of the food. So having uh, having some issues jumping on. So if we don't get him tonight, we'll get him on the show again. We know everyone loves the butcher, Dylan Fawcett. So just an update there. If you're, if you're sticking with the show through 40 minutes to listen to the butcher, uh, rest assured we're doing our best to get him on the show. All right, Pete, uh, I know predictions and I know I love throwing this stuff into the show and, and not last minute, but while we wait to Dylan to try and get on, what do you think? Oh, he just got on. I just saw his name pop up. We'll do this with him in a minute. So... Uh, good to have him on the show and we can talk a little bit more World Cup then. We can circle back around to that and kind of get his thoughts on the tour and the campaign. So exciting to have him in. Uh, in- Butcher. Butcher, are you there, my friend? The Butch. Are you, uh, you, you've got someone in, in Bali on the push bike powering the Wi-Fi to, to join us? He's flat out here. <laughs> Go easy, man. You're all right. <laughs> Oh, I love it, mate. Tell, tell us, is this uh, how's the honeymoon? Let's get into the good stuff before we we get boring rugby uh, involved. Uh, it's a beauty, man. It's very happy. And my wife's been a uh, unbelievable all year over the last two years. So this is all about her now. So trying to enjoy it, and and uh, she she fully deserves it. So and Bali's absolutely gorgeous. So I could be I could be in worse spots. 
how are you going? You, you've hit up Kuta Beach. The, the guys say you're a really keen surfer. You, uh, you used to rip the waves off there on the west coast of Ireland. Are you, you down at Kuta, taking a few left-handers? Nah, mate. I'm, I'm probably killing myself. I'm staying well away from that stuff. I watch them from afar. I watch them from the bar. Let's put it like that. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you jumping on under these circumstances. Give uh, give your wife a big thanks for us and we'll make sure we, we give her plenty of uh, love during the season for her being so generous with her time. Mate, let's talk World Cup. Uh, you know, great experience. Just go through that first. How was Japan on the whole? And, you know, just, just your, your time over in Japan with the team. Uh, listen, it was it was <clears throat> it was fantastic. Um, we started off uh, it started off a bit slow, you know. We 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 were together for I think all together around 115 days in camp, you know. So that was a credit to USA Rugby to to be able to make this happen, and you know everybody bought into it. And I mean the strength conditioning, the training, you know, it was you know unrivaled to be honest. You know there was we were very lucky to be able to get that opportunity to perform, you know. Unfortunately, the results didn't go our way, um, and how we really liked it, you know, we felt like we probably didn't play our best rugby. You know, I think we're definitely better than what we performed at. But uh, no, well, you know, obviously that we we started off in Okinawa, and that was a bit. Uh, we were there for about a week at the start. We stayed out of the limelight there. Uh, we didn't get into the hustle and bustle. Like to be honest, we all felt as if like we were probably missing out because that first week we didn't have a game, and uh, you know we were all itching to get to Japan, the mainland, by you know, by the time we we got to uh, to Kobe, and then that week in Kobe was pretty special playing England. You know, unfortunately, again, you know, the results didn't reflect how good I believe that we really are. But uh, again, the opportunity to play against, you know, definitely probably number one contender to win the World Cup was uh, was pretty special. Yeah. So, um, uh, Dylan, this is this is Pete. Um, thanks. You know, I'm just going to echo Dan's thanks for for jumping on. We we really appreciate it. When when you guys look at your progression throughout the World Cup, I mean, England was um, you know a tough start, but it seemed like um, against France and against Argentina, again, you you improved. You know, what was it that you were able to do? You know, um, between those games, and what were your areas of focus? Uh, as you went through um, in terms of your improvement? Um, I think, uh, I think to be honest, after the England game, we were all a bit shell-shocked, you know. I think uh, we got ourselves into a bubble and we got ourselves in the right frame of mind. Like, we, we fully believed that we were going to be able to do a job against England, put in a, bit, uh, a good performance. And I think guys, guys were definitely shell-shocked leading into that France game, you know, and we just had to basically regroup, regroup you know, stick, stick to what we know and, Stick to and stroke the pro, uh, and stick to and trust the process, and uh, just uh, just show that like right, stick to what we know, nail our roles, and then the rest will come. I think the occasion probably got to us a little bit against England, and uh, yeah, again, you know, we didn't perform the way we wanted to, but you know, I think the you know the, the cobwebs are dusted off. You know, we've been in the World Cup for a week now. And uh, we, we had nothing to nothing to hold back against France, you know, when we put in a good performance. You know, one of one of the highlights for me in watching you guys play was the scrum. I mean, I think this was probably the strongest scrum the US has ever had at a World Cup, and and held its own for the most part against these tier one nations. Um, you know, as a as a front row forward. Um, 
you know, how did you feel when you were packing down against um, some of the top players in the world and feeling like you were able to compete in, in what's such a mental part of the game? Uh, absolutely. You know, that first scrum when, when, you know, when you do get an opportunity was amazing. Like, to be honest, I don't think uh, the, you know, the old rules helped us at all. You know, I think, you know, uh, loading through the, through the bind and loading through your head, through the hooker and stuff like that, it didn't really suit us as, you know, we probably didn't get enough time together uh, to really work on that over, over the last few years. But then obviously with the new rules and then like, I think it, I think it came in like the morning of our first day in camp. So like we really, we made it a point that we're going to, we were going to nail this role, nail this process. And we had, you know, Stevie Scott come in and Sean Pittman did a good job with the scrum, you know, and then obviously we had so many experienced players there that we knew what we needed to do. And, you know, it was, it was definitely encouraging and gave us that extra bit of confidence in the games to know that like we could hold up and or not just hold up, but like compete, you know, look for penalties. And, you know, that's a massive, uh, massive confidence builder and definitely, definitely gives you the, yeah, you know, the want to, to go for scrums and not to be worried about it, you know? In games. Mate, you talked about that feeling of going into those, in particular set piece for you, but and, and getting that feeling of confidence that you can compete. What's the blueprint moving forward now to go further from just feeling like you compete in these patches of play to actually taking some scalps at a World Cup? How far off do you think the USA is as a whole? And what do you think will be the next big steps in terms of uh, preparation and basically getting one of those tier one sculpts uh, at a world cup well first and foremost i, I, I 100 back our uh, management and our and the backroom staff there at usa will be like the again like i spoke about earlier like we were given every opportunity to succeed again you know it probably didn't it probably didn't suit us we probably don't we're probably just not there yet you know and then um moving forward i'd say that, just keep loading the, with the with the strength of the MLR. It's definitely going to make it give give experience. Put uh, you know obviously like getting guys in in uh, getting better players into the league, giving us every opportunity to get better, putting a higher standard of rugby. So the guys when they get to the international stage like that, like we don't have blips like what happened in England. You know we're able to regroup. We're putting under pressure situations, and again like with with the MLR and with. Uh, better caliber players coming in the camps get more competitive we all get better you know there's there's massive pressure there that everybody has to succeed you can't have an off week you know and like or you can't take two months off sort of thing you've got to be continuing to play you know or else you get passed out so i think the standard is 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 forever improving in the states it's going to take i don't have i don't have the answer on how long it's going to take but i believe the guys that are involved and you know probably have to get a few more guys in you know just for you know, um, just for experience sake, but to give it to give us every opportunity, I believe that we're in the right place to do it, and we just got to keep continuing to move forward. Well, well, Dylan, I, I, first of all, I, I, um, I think, I think we all we all respect your your honesty, but I'll I'll tell you, I, I got up in the middle of the night for, um, um, every U.S. game, and um, except for the England game, you the effort and the play that you guys had made it made every game worthwhile getting up at one o'clock in the morning. So like I thought I thought the performance, um, and I you know, and I, I said this earlier on the podcast, I think the first eighteen minutes against Argentina is probably the best the US ever US has ever played against a tier one nation. And I think you guys should be proud with 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 the performance that you had, even if you didn't get the outcomes that 
that that you wanted. But but I want to I want to grab onto something that you know you, you you talked about right then, which is you know there's definitely been a sense from um, hearing from the different players that there was a very strong bond with this team, and that maybe it was maybe a little bit different than other US teams. Can you can you put your finger on on kind of what what made that special with this group? I think uh, I can't speak for for other uh, tours, you know, other US uh, or sorry, other World Cup years. You know, this is my first. I've been involved in the team there just over like over two years, and uh, ever since I've been here, it's you know, it's, it was the transition for Gary Gold, and like again, like we have a there's no there's a no dickhead po- policy, you know, like we we're very much like the dickheads are found out, they're not a part of the squad, and every man has a has a role to play on and off the field, you know, so it's a uh, it, it really is a phenomenal group to be a part of, you know, and I, I feel very lucky. An honor to be a part of it, you know. But again, every every man that's there it ha, has put in an, amount, an amazing amount of work to be there. You know, it's it's hard earned by every man, and uh, with these with the attitudes of of every man on the team and and the coaching staff and every man that's involved and all the like all the fans and investors and whoever it is, like I believe that US Rugby will get to the, to the place that it it wants and deserves to be at eventually over time. Well, that, yeah, I, I think that's, uh, um, you know, I think it's come through and hopefully the culture that you guys created at this World Cup can can, can continue through the next one. And, and then the final question for me before I hand it back and, and we'll um, give you a little bit of a preface that we're going to be um, doing some um, quarterfinal predictions. So we'll, we'll, we'll be asking you to join in on that. Um, you know, 20 years from now, when you look back at um, your experience at the World Cup in Japan, what are some of the things that are going to really stand out for you that you're going to tell your kids about? Um, uh, off the field, uh, the Japanese culture, the Japanese people are probably unrivaled. They're they're phenomenal. Like you know, you walk into a place and there's just smile, smiles on their faces. They're just they're they're so welcoming, and the hospitality was was phenomenal. You know, so I definitely recommend my kids to get to Japan and anybody out there to go and experience it because it's 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 a very special place. Uh, my kids for the for their old man to play in a World Cup, it's gonna be pretty uh yeah pretty special. It'll be very proud for me to be able to say that you know the hard work paid off, um, and just the you know there's things I'll never forget. I actually sat in a in a in a bar in Fiji after I think it was the day after we the game, and I uh, I watched the, they had reruns of the games. I think Wales and Fiji were on, and then you just saw like them coming out for the game, and you know, and it was pretty cool. Like I only got that kind of that sense of like euphoria there because I was, you know, I, I did that, you know, I was out there, I did, you know, so it, it's definitely special and it's definitely spurs you on to, to keep going because I definitely want that again in four years. So, and I want to, to compete even better the next time. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to think, think think too much about the future when it comes to that stuff, you know, I'm firmly on, I've got four more years to do this and I believe that we're I'm going to be there in the next, the next one. Oh, I like it, Butcher. 2023, Captain. Get Blaine Scully out of there. He's old news. Captain Butch, I can't wait for it. I'd follow you into the trenches, brother, any day of the week. Don't worry about that. And we love Blaine too. I'm just kidding. Don't come and get me, Blaine and Shannon, Blaine's wife. I'm actually more scared of her than him. All right, prediction times. Let's get these underway. Uh, you can't go for England because you're an Irish man, and we all know that's never going to fly. So Aussies, England, Saturday. Who you got in that one? England. England are going to win that one. 
Oh, boo. Boo. Mate. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm going for um, I'm going for England. Although I just saw that um, Eddie Jones has reverted back to type and is starting Owen Farrell at fly half, which makes me a little concerned. But I'm going to still. So I think that means England are going to be really physical with Australia. But I think I think England are a better team and they'll win. What about you, Dan? You sure, Butch? You sure, Butch? I can't. You don't want to change England? No. I do not. Oh, good. Uh, I'll, I'll go. I'll go for the Aussies for for an upset. Um, just got it all written over it. Those arrogant English. They'll go into this game not expecting the uh, the convicts to pull a fast one, steal the game and their wallets. There you got it right there. All right, New Zealand Ireland, big quarterfinal there. Who are you going for? Going for the Irish. Good man. Good man. All right, Pete. Man, I want Ireland to win this game. But I think, I, I, you know, when Ireland were beating New Zealand, um, like, you know, a year or two years ago, like, they were a better team. I just, I, I think Ireland peaked back then. So, unfortunately, my, you know, my um, heart says Ireland, but my head says New Zealand. So, which one is it, Pete? Just pick one. Okay, New Zealand. I will go with the Butch, with Ireland. I think New Zealand will come in underdone. Only one real game in pool play against South Africa. Tested them, and that is a long, long time uh, between tough games. If, if that happens, if, if Ireland beat New Zealand in the quarters, I mean, how long will New Zealand be in mourning for? I mean, that's going to be a tough of Ireland. Well, Pete, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be over in New Zealand in two weeks. I'll let you know how it is. So which one is it, Pete? Just pick one. Okay, New Zealand. I will go with the Butch, with Ireland. I think New Zealand will come in underdone. Only one real game in pool play against South Africa. Tested them, and that is a long, long time uh, between tough games. No, they, they, they all got to the semis. And, I, mean, I mean, I'm talking about not even getting out of the quarter. Well, ask people, ask the ask, ask the ninety five, ask uh, you know two thousand and three, ninety nine, two thousand and seven. Ask all the people from then. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, the uh, the game. I think this is probably. I was looking at some uh, stats today, Butch. This is the highest betted game in the quarterfinals in terms of favourites. And Wales, unbackable favourites against France. Wales, France on Sunday. Yeah, Wales. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's. I mean, I mean, I mean, the French team. They're like having arguments with their. I mean, the French can win because they're France, but they haven't shown the ability to win yet. So I think it's Wales. Yeah, it would. It, Having spent some time playing in France, Pete, it is bizarre. What you would think would cripple a team down there galvanizes them. They come out and put fifty points on Wales. I could see that happening too. It's uh, it was very interesting two years. But last one, Japan, South Africa. Does the fairy tale continue, or South Africa wise up from the twenty fifteen upset and get the win here? Butch, South Africa. 
Oh, geez, so much energy. You've got a, you've got a future in broadcasting when you're done, Butch. Uh, calm down. I think. I mean. I mean, like. Japan can beat South Africa. I mean, Japan hold on to the ball. They don't kick it away. Um, but, you know, I think South Africa came in as some of the phrases. I think um, Rassi Erasmus is a, is a very, very smart coach. Um, I think the, um, I think Japan are going to make a game of it, but I think South Africa are going to have too much. Yeah, me too. I actually think South Africa will win the whole thing. There you go. Yep, I do. Uh, yep, yep. I think, I think. Ah. Look at that. There we go. Well, we're, not, we're not doing the tournament prediction. We're just doing the tournament prediction. That's true. I could only go with one hard call. I had to go with three heads. You know what I mean? So, obviously, the hard call went with the Irish. But I you know, firmly believe. I think the Japan this, this uh, have been phenomenal. I mean, it has awakened the whole, the whole country. I mean, you can't go anywhere without seeing... Uh, signs and and jerseys, everything. It's it, it, honestly to see them doing so well has been has been fantastic, you know. And it was it was great to be able to play them there in in the summer, you know, to get a feel of what they're like. They're really they really are relentless. Uh, they're they're long speed and and how fast they play the ball, you know. It was it was wicked, you know. So I mean, I really I'd love to see them beat South Africa, but I just can't see it happen. Good, no, you definitely shouldn't. You shouldn't. Have it. No, no, that's better. Butch, there you go. A little bit inside. I've probably got you on a barley time. You've, you're probably a couple of my ties deep, so I apologize. Mate, we will let you get back to the pool and the beautiful wife. Enjoy the honeymoon. Enjoy New Zealand in two weeks. Hopefully, uh, well, for you, you probably hope they're out of the tournament, but uh, it's finished in two weeks anyway. Are you there for the final, actually? Two weeks. It'll be the final, right? Yeah. But I'll be, yeah, hopefully, well, I'll be in the Zenith. I don't know where I am. I don't even know what day it is at the moment, mate. So I'm. No, go, in, go enjoy the good barley weather. Go enjoy the, the beautiful bride. And, uh, mate, we'll catch up with you before MLR 2020. Back with the Roosters. Absolutely. So, just and as cheers. Thanks for having me on. And uh, we'll talk again soon. You are a legend. Dylan Fawcett, thank you for joining the show very much. World Cup USA Eagle, Dylan Fawcett there, jumping on for us. What a what a champion too. On the honeymoon. Wow. That's going to cost him some brownie points, isn't it? Well, I mean, you know, we, we really appreciate it when – I mean, Dylan's always been a, a friend of the podcast, right? And uh, he's been on before. He's always, he's always good value and uh, – um, you know, it was great to be able to get some insight from him at the World Cup. But, yeah, I hope he doesn't get into too much trouble for spending some time with us. No, 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 no. Both married men. We know the rules of the game, so he'll be fine. He, it was only 20 minutes. All right, Pete, that wraps it up. Uh, World Cup quarterfinals. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the games. I'm sure the text message feed for Australia England will be uh, very colourful, to say the least. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very willing to take any bet, but I'm not giving you any points. It's the World Cup quarterfinal. Sorry. It's going to be straight up. And for those of you that are fans of this podcast, please leave us a review at iTunes or Stitcher or where or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts. If you leave us a review, it means other people can find us, spreads the word of Major League Rugby. And, um, you know, we keep saying that we're going to read out the reviews, but that requires me to actually check them before the show. So at some point we'll do that and maybe we'll do a bit of a catch-up over the last six months. 
I like it. Rooney fans, don't worry. New York is coming up next show. So we will get to the Rooney Roosters next show as well. For Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro, I'm Dan Powell. This has been the MLR Kickoff Podcast.